if you will, open up your Bible to John, the 16th chapter, and we're going to get into the Word of God, John 16. We've been teaching on a new way for a new day. And what is this new way for a new day thing that we're talking about? Well, we're talking about what Jesus said right before he left. He said, listen, I'm leaving, and this period of time right here is literally, you know, a couple days, and he's gone. And so he is training them last-minute instructions how to live in his absence. So these instructions are actually for you and for me or anybody who uh, lives on the earth, because really everybody's commanded to walk with the Lord, whether they do it or not. You with me? It doesn't matter whether they do or don't, they're commanded to walk with the Lord. And so he gave these instructions how to do it. And so we've been going through this in John 13, 14, 15, and 16. And so in John 16, 5, we're going to read through the 11th verse here, and this is another time where he's saying, I'm leaving, there's a new day coming, and so in John 16, 5, he said this, but now I go away to him who sent me. In other words, I'm going back to be with God, the Father in heaven, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. In other words, they're so full of emotion that, you know, they get called into the ministry three something years ago. Now, you know, they've given their life to be with Jesus and to follow Jesus. And now Jesus is like, um, I'm not going to be here. Say what? And uh, I'm going to be going to God and be with the Father in heaven, and you're going to be here. You know, you ever got a job, got recruited maybe, so I go to this company, work there for a while, and they're like, oh yeah, and by the way, this is your description of how it's going to be now. And you're like, wait a minute, did I sign up for that? With God, he doesn't ask if you signed up. He signs you up. I think we should do that more often. Just start signing people up for stuff. And uh, he just said, he called them, God had dealt with them, and here they are, and uh, they're full of sorrow. These are Peter and John and different ones like that. And he said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, verse 7, it's to your advantage or your gain that I go away. How does that make sense? Jesus is living with them for three plus years, and he's like, it's good that I'm leaving. It's good for you that I'm leaving. Well, obviously, their emotions are totally tried, because they're like, what do you mean? And he said, nevertheless, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper, now we know last week we looked at this, the helper is the Holy Spirit. He said, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now, notice this. I'm going to leave. I'm going to send somebody in my place. We know the Holy Spirit is the helper. 
And so he said, listen, I've been here helping you for three years. It's to your advantage that I leave so the Holy Spirit can come. The Holy Spirit is real. He's not a blob. He's not some force. He's the third person of the Godhead. When we worship God and we sense a presence, we sense the Holy Spirit manifesting. When we pray for people and His power influences, that's the power of the Spirit at work. When we spend time praying and all of a sudden we get done praying and we're like, whoa, it's like I've been to heaven. What is this presence I sense? It's the power of the Spirit. And really, He's the one who is to do what Jesus did when He was here on the earth. He was taking the place of Jesus, but in a more dynamic way. How in the world did He in a more dynamic way? Well, if it's to your advantage, then that means it's better, right? And so... That being said, what is the advantage? Well, there are different ones, but one real obvious one is not everybody could be around Jesus, but everybody now can receive Jesus and have the Holy Spirit in them wherever they go. And he will do the same things Jesus did. But notice this, the helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. Verse 8, and when he has come... He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. Verse 9, of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Verse 11, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The ruler of this world, we know, is Satan. And so he makes an interesting statement there. Uh, he said, when he has come, so what does he do when he comes? He helps because he gave him the name helper. So when he comes, we should expect help. And the interesting thing is, is what kind of help can we expect? If we know what type of help to expect, then we can kind of rest real strong in the fact of what he will do. But if we don't know, then we may try to take up the slack. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, if I don't know exactly some of the things he will do, I may have to try in my own thinking, how can I make this work not knowing the Holy Spirit will do that work now I'm trying to take up the slack. You know what I mean by that? Like, you know, you're trying to get a loved one to come to church. Well, I'll just use some real skillful words and I'll manipulate them. I'll give you money after you come to church. I'll pay for lunch after you come to church. Well, we're trying to do something that really we may not realize the Holy Spirit will definitely get involved with to help us. You with me? But if we don't know what his help is, then we may try to take up the slack. And so he starts telling what the Holy Spirit will do for us and what he will do once he comes. And so he said, verse 8, and when he has come, has he come? 
He has. And when he has come, because he was going to come right after Jesus died and rose from the dead and then was seated in heaven, and that happened a couple thousand years ago, so he's been here ever since. Ever since he has been here. And when he has come, he will, when he has come, he will. Not he might, he will. You know, have you ever leaned a ladder on something and thought, I don't know if this is really safe? Anybody ever done that? And you're like, all right. And you kind of crawl up the ladder a little soft, you know, because you're just not sure that this is smart to lean all your weight on this ladder and make this climb and trust the ladder. I mean, I've done that before. I remember when I was in California uh, in front of this building, I, I know I shouldn't have done this. There was a big, one of those junipers or things that get real thin and tall. And I thought, well, I'll just lean the ladder on it because I couldn't lean it anywhere else. And I thought, I can balance, you know, my way up. I got about floor and a half, and that thing was getting more wobbly, and I fell and landed in a bush. It caught me and then flipped me, and then I landed in some ice plant, and there were cars driving by. And uh, so I laid there like I was hurt, and then I was peeking. I thought, was anybody going to help? And I, thought, and I jumped up. Nobody helped. I thought, come on. <laughs> I, serious, I did. I still remember where the street was or the building. I thought, oh, well. And uh, that being said, I leaned on the thing that gave way, that moved. And here's the thing about what he will do when he comes. We can lean hard on him, and he won't give way. You know, in other words, we can lean hard on these things that he said he'll do and really put our trust in him and know if he said he'll do this, then when we pray, when we speak to people, when we talk to people, we can know he will convict people. And people will know they're guilty. You know, if you're convicted, right? If you stand before a judge and they say you're convicted, you know it when the judge says it. It doesn't matter who else in the courtroom says it. But when the judge says it, you know. And notice this. When he has come, he will convict the world of sin. Now, here's something we need to know. What is sin? Now, the whole world has various ideas of what sin is. And right now, the lines of sin in the world's eyes are moving. And they do all the time. They move at different times and in different groups of people. But God doesn't work on what man says is sin. He works on the level of what he says is sin. In other words, what is sin? It's literally to miss the mark that God has set. And another thing we need to recognize here, he will do this to the whole world, convict the world. And why is it that he needs to convict the world? Why does the world need this convicting? 
Why was it before we knew the Lord, we needed this convicting? Guilty. Guilty. Because how many people think they're not guilty, but they really are guilty before God? You with me? And you can hear what I'm saying, and if you don't know certain things, you'll go, that's me, I'm guilty. Let's let the Bible tell us. And then not about your head. I mean, the work the Holy Spirit will do, he will convict people inside. He'll get a hold of them. And so here are the things that he will convict the world of. Verse 9, it says, Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Why will the Lord convict people internally? First thing, they don't believe in Jesus. Of sin, of sin, notice that, of sin because. Let me say that again. Of sin because they do not believe in me or in Jesus. Let me say this. Sin is missing the mark. The only way to get free and get sin removed from anybody is through Jesus. Not by good deeds, not by how much you pray or how much you do certain things. The only way to get saved and get the sin problem taken care of is through Jesus. So he will convict anybody who does not know Jesus that they are not right. That there is something missing. I know with me in my own life, I sat in bed at night. I'd have my day and lived like however you want to. And then at night I'd think, ah, there's something missing. I'm not right with God. He was convicting me. And so he said the first thing he'll do is convict the world of sin because, because they do not believe in me or have not received me. Well, without Jesus, we're guilty. He will convict. Why is this important? Because we can't do this on our own. Because if we could do this on our own, every message of every path becomes equal, so to speak. In other words, we need God's endorsement and God's working in people, not just slick words trying to help people. You know, because a lot of people disqualify themselves from inviting people, telling people about Jesus, letting him know he died for them, he paid the price, because, well, I just don't know enough. You don't have to know much. The fact of the matter is, and you don't have to really know anything other than Jesus died and rose again and paid for you to be free. That's it. In other words, sometimes people disqualify themselves. They say, well, I haven't prayed enough. I don't know enough. And in all reality, am I leaning too much on my ability? Now, I'm not for people not learning, but I am for people realizing we're not doing this alone. 
who's going to do the convicting? Not you and not me. Now, I can be persuasive with my words, but the fact of the matter is, when the Holy Spirit came, he had a job. One of the first things of his job is to help us. And one of the ways he's going to help us is he's going to convict people. He's going to make them know black and white, in or out, alive or dead, saved or unsaved. And we need to recognize this is not our job. But we need to recognize our job that we do, we don't do alone. So the very next thing he said, this is the next thing he'll do. He'll convict the world of sin because they do not believe. He'll convict them of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. What does that mean? Righteous. First thing he said is sin. Next thing he said is righteousness. In other words, he's saying, I am now at the right hand or going to be going to the right hand of God. I am the only way for any man to get right and be in right standing with God. In other words, how many people say, well, you know, I've done so much. I work so hard. I deserve this. That, you should be convicted of that. Because that doesn't make you righteous. That just makes you self-righteous. And Paul was self-righteous at one time, one of the writers in the Bible, and he just said, I have to dump my self-righteousness. I have to count it like dung. If you don't know what that is, you can look it up in the dictionary. Poo. You with me? He said, that's what I consider it. But a lot of people don't consider their own works that way. Because they'll push people down and exalt themselves or pull themselves down and lift other people up by their works. Now, we'll get rewarded by works, but it doesn't make you righteous. And here's the fact. The next thing of sin and of righteousness, because I go to the Father and you see me no more. You don't even have to see me to get the Spirit to convict people in the world. I'll be there. He will convict people that they're not right. And how many people say, well, I'm good enough. I do a lot of good stuff. I'll take my chances when I stand before the Lord. Here's why we need to rely on the work of the Holy Spirit, because we can't allow them to get there to take their chances of I've done good enough. They need to be convicted here, because if they're not convicted here and given the opportunity when they get there, it is too late. It's over. It's done. They had their shot. And so we can't just rely on ourselves. You with me? In other words, we'll do our part, but let's trust that God will do his part. Don't talk about the people you invite in a negative manner. You say, well, I, I don't. They're my friend. Here's a negative manner. They're just a hard nut to crack. It's just hard. You know, they're hard. Well, wait a minute. Are they hard based on your ability or on how big God is? That's a good question we have to ask. Why do we say they're hard? 
it's because we're maybe unconsciously relying on our ability to work the work inside of them. So we should be saying people are easy for God to get through to. Why? Now, I may not be able to get through to him. I can do the talking, but he can deal the deal and seal the deal and work the deal inside and begin to convict where it's not apparent. You with me? Internally. And we need to think like that. Listen, God will do this. Then we should not be afraid either then if we really believe he'll convict. Because they may be harsh back to us or they may be like, no. But as long as we do our part, we know he'll do his part. I know a girl who uh, I grew up with and she, you know, we tried to witness to her and talk to her and she just had, at least by appearance, nothing to do with it. She didn't want anything to do with it. But later on, she said, I knew. She finally gave her life to the Lord and then she admitted, I knew there was something that happened. I knew what you guys were talking about was right. But if we would have looked at her by appearance, we would have thought, oh, but you know what? God was working. We've got to be careful we don't talk about people because of appearance, because how many of you know the work the Holy Spirit does is not always apparent? It starts inside. How many of you have known, man, God's been dealing with me about doing this or doing that or witnessing to this person or serving or being faithful, being connected, whatever it is. And how many of you know that that worked in you when other people are going, are you going to do it? Are you going to go? Mm, eh, whatever, no. But the battle is not out here. You know he's dealing with you in here. Anybody ever been there? How many honest people? Oh, they're all in the back row today. And um, no, we've all been there. If we're saved, we know. So we just have to cooperate. Well, if that's a fact with us, know that there are people out there that God has been preparing. You know what would be wild is? Is if he has been preparing people, then he deals with us and we just know, I need to talk to this person. I need to invite this person. They need to come to the church so they can get to know the Lord. They can get saved. Oh, I'm embarrassed. I'm not going to do it. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And here's the whole thing. We're relying too much on ourselves. We're acting as if God hasn't been dealing with them. We're acting as if they're not even aware that they're empty or that they're looking for more and we've got the answer and God's dealing with us, but oh, I don't want to say anything. But here's the whole thing. He's already been working. In other words, I'm just relying on me again. Because can you imagine God is the biggest orchestrator? You know, creation is huge. If people don't believe in creation, oh my goodness. I mean, you just got to think of all the stuff it takes for this world to not go haywire. And he had to orchestrate that so it worked all these years perfectly to not freeze us or toast us. And, you know, and now deodorant is ruining the whole thing. Spray deodorant, that is. God's like, oh, I should have never given him enough knowledge to use spray deodorant. Aerosol, that is, not the pump. 
They're ruining the whole thing. No, we're not. Amen. In other words, he knew long before we came on the scene how to keep this thing together until he came back. You know, have you ever seen those plates where those guys do those things? I don't know if they do them anymore, but when I was younger, they, get, they have these sticks, you know, a bunch of them, and then the guy will start spinning a plate, then he gets one spinning, and then he gets another one spinning, and then he goes back and gets the first one spinning. And then after a while, he's got like eight sticks with plates spinning. He's running back and forth. And then he's got to run back there. And this one's starting to wobble. And then he runs down. He's got, got to get the last one. Then he's got to run back and spin these. You know, you'd think that's how God is. Like he's just trying to keep them spinning until he can get it all done. Because when he comes back, it's going to be so wobbly, it would have just gone off the tracks. No, man's going to cause some stuff. And there's going to be battles and junk going on. But it's not like... He, he's like, whoa, I've got to shorten this because, uh-oh. Now, we do know he said he would shorten the days right at the end when he returns because of the evil upon the earth. But it's not like, you know, the earth is going to spin off its axis and just go spinning out past Jupiter. What am I saying? There's order to God. If he sends us to somebody, you got to know he's been dealing with that somebody. And if he sends you to somebody, if he hasn't been dealing with them, he will deal with them. But if he's that orderly with the universe and he's going to fold the whole thing up and it's going to all be consumed with a fervent heat someday and it's going to end but man will live forever, then man is the important thing. And if he'll do that for the earth and everything, and man to live on it, I guarantee you he'll work in men and women and people. And there are people who just are not satisfied, not fulfilled in life. That's just a hunger that's making them call out, and they're out there doing all kinds of stuff. What we're watching today is just an inward hunger that can't be satisfied anywhere but in the Lord. And we've got the best message that maybe people have been keeping a secret. Amen. But let's just keep reading. But here's the thing. Of sin, of righteousness, because he's the only way for somebody to be right with God. Verse 11, of judgment... Because the ruler of the world has been judged. In other words, Satan has been defeated. The prison door of humanity is now open. And people who sit in darkness just need to know it's been paid for. You can come out now. You can live with the Lord. You can know Him. He who bound you you actually have a freedom if you would just accept Jesus. And he said he would convict the world of these things. Turn with me to John 14, 6. Just a page back, maybe, or same page in your Bible. Same teaching, same context. And remember, I said Jesus brought some of these things up more than once. As he was teaching, so they're important. John 14, 6, Jesus said... To him, I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. No one, nobody comes to the Father except for through me. Now, he introduced to the disciples, I'm the only way to get to heaven. There is no other way. But now he's introducing a fact that I will, by my spirit, convince and convict people that I am the only way. In other words, he told them. Now he's saying, listen, you go proclaim this, and the Holy Spirit will convict the world of this very fact. This is an unchanging message that must be told for the sake of humanity. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. To me, this is very interesting because these scriptures shed light on this subject right here that Jesus taught. Now, obviously, these Bible writers that God used to write the scriptures are going to speak about some of the things Jesus spoke because why? They're how we're to live today. This is a priority and should be a Christian priority of telling people about Jesus. Not disqualifying yourself or qualifying yourself because I'm real perfect or imperfect. Listen, you cannot clean a fish till you catch it. You with me? People say, well, what does that mean? In other words, you, they talk about cleaning a fish, you know, they gut it, clean the skin, then you can cook it. You can't do that till after you catch it. Don't worry about how perfect you are or how perfect or imperfect you are. Realize this, and don't worry about how perfect people are. Get them in. God will work on them. God will clean them. I remember years ago when I got out of Bible school, I thought, I'll go into full-time ministry right away. This, this, this will all change. And uh, I remember a guy who had asked me to go into business with him, and I said, no, no, because I'm thinking I'm, I'm going to go into full-time ministry. I ended up going to work for the guy. I remember the first job I went to for him, and uh, there were, you know, these guys there, and this one guy walked out, and he had tattoos. You know, now tattoos, everybody's got tattoos, you, you know, just pretty common. But back then, it was not as common. This isn't back like when stagecoaches and stuff. It was more modern, but... And so I remember seeing this guy, and he is big and strong. He had tattoos, and right across the joint of his elbow, it said Capone. Like, and his first real name is Al. And that was his gang name. And he was in his 40s, and this guy was big. And he had tattoos from his neck down. And uh, he greeted me. Uh, and I was like, hi. You know? <laughs> And uh, I'm not like that, but I did think, okay, here we go. And I'm thinking, I just graduated from Bible school, and here I am with this guy. And he's like, what's up? And I'm like, not much. What's up? No, I didn't say that. And so we went in, we talked and everything, and we were doing this project, so I had to work around him. So I'm sitting there, and I remember I climbed up on a ladder, and I started talking to him about the Lord. And he just said, I can't, I can't do it, I can't can't follow him. I just can't right now. You don't understand. And I just kept talking to him. And then, then I recognized 
I'm not doing this alone. I recognize the Holy Spirit moving strong. And I just said, I was up on the ladder. I said, can't you sense God right now? And he said, oh, these are his exact words. I hear him right now in stereo. Like loud and clear. I said, then I'll climb down from the ladder and you can give your life to the Lord right now. He said, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. When he said that, it was like you snapped your finger inside. I realized he's addicted to heroin. He's addicted to heroin. And then I said, hey, you know, I just said, God will clean the fish if you catch it. You just give your life to him. He'll straighten you out. He's like, I don't understand that. I said, well, you ever been fishing? He's like, no. I was like, oh. Okay. You ever caught a head of lettuce before and washed it after you got it, not before you got it? No, I didn't say that. And I said, let me, let me pray for you right now. And he said, I'm not ready. And then he just got totally sober. He said, God's dealing with me right now. He said, as a matter of fact, he's been dealing with me. I'll just show up somewhere and somebody will come up who hadn't seen me in years and talk to me about the Lord. And they'll say, the Lord dealt with me. So the Lord's looking for people to talk to people who he's been preparing. And he just looked right at me. He said, I was sitting around the other night with this guy and we were doing some stuff which I know was heroin, he said, the one guy said, don't worry, if you die, you'll be okay. You'll get into heaven. And he said, I just looked at that guy and said, I'll die and go to hell if I die right now like this. And the guy said, ah, oh, don't worry about it. Two nights later, um, and I was pretty excited after thinking, woo, look how strong God moved. But he never gave his life to the Lord. I felt pretty bad two nights later, a day and a half later, when my boss called me, the owner of the company, and said, have you seen Al? I said, no. He said, did he leave, you know, when everybody left? I said, yeah, he left right when everybody else did. I said, well, nobody's found him. His wife's looking for him. You know, his kids are out looking for him. And he was involved with a, a real pretty big street gang, at least 300 active members in California. And, uh, and he, I said, no. And, and uh, so then he, he calls me back a couple hours later. He said, you're not going to believe this. It's probably 9.30 now. He said, they found Al. I said, well, what happened? They said, he's dead. I said, oh, no. They said, what happened was um, he uh, went with this guy. They shot up, and uh, he started to OD. So the guy went around from the passenger seat of the truck, pushed him through from the driver's seat into the passenger seat, drove him into a grocery store parking lot, and took his money, and he died right there. And my boss said, well, you never know what he did at the last moment about giving his life to the Lord. I said, don't even tell me that. And then I told him the story that it just happened. Because you can't make an excuse where there isn't one. And um, I thought, oh Lord, and I was pretty excited before, but I thought I needed to sell the deal. I needed to push harder. Because God was working, God knew. That's why he kept sending people to him. And so I know this, God works by his spirit. Not because of me and not because of you, but because he said, this is my job, I take it serious. I mean, there's no way you can think God's lazy. 
but he only does it in line with us. Let's read these verses before we close. 2 Corinthians 5. I mean, all he's looking for is somebody to get involved with him and do their part. Notice this, 2 Corinthians 5.8. Now, all things are of God. Now, he's talking about the person who has given their life to God. He makes your spiritual life new. And he said, who has reconciled us to himself? All of humanity is hostile against God because of sin. They're separated. And now he's writing to this church and said, we've been returned. We're no longer hostile with God, us Christians. And it says, notice, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. He paid the price. And notice it says, and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Notice what is really plain in its absence. He didn't give God the ministry of reconciliation. Notice that's absent. He didn't give God the ministry of reconciliation. He gave me and you and every believer the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, one of the ministries that everybody is supposed to cooperate with is the ministry of reconciling. You know, we hear about people who are having a tough marriage and you know, sometimes you get a chance to talk to them and you talk with the husband and you talk with the wife and you try to get them back together and then sometimes they end up divorced and they have in irreconcilable differences. They're not reconciled. But notice we're not called first to be marriage counselors. We're first to be human counselors giving the advice of God to a world that is apart from God and God's not angry with them. They just need to be reconciled to him. Notice verse 20. Well, let me say this first. Though this ministry is ours, we've already seen we don't just do it alone. But for sure the Holy Spirit does not do it himself. Notice verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. What's an ambassador? It's somebody sent to do the work of a foreign land. We are ambassadors for heaven here on the earth. We are emissaries, sent ones by heaven. He said, now, then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. Unless you've ever witnessed an invited told somebody you've missed a huge part of your Christian life. I mean, I don't want to say it like this. It's like a drug to be able to... Because drugs are just a false thing of a reality. But if you've ever witnessed to somebody and talked to somebody and recognized God pleading through you, it's your words, but like that guy... At, when I was on the ladder, I was thinking, this is incredible. Here he is hearing my voice that's just talking like this. 
but he's hearing it in stereo because he's hearing another voice. And I'm sensing this other one who's speaking to him. And I'll tell you what, I was super blessed. How many people miss out on a blessing by not sharing? Obviously, the world misses out for eternity. But God has made it so that, man, we do this. And there is something about it. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you or we beg you or tell you on Christ's behalf, be returned or reconciled to God. Now I'm going to read this next part. Now this next verse needs to be read the way I'm saying it. He said, we plead with you. Be returned to God. This is still him pleading, telling us to plead with the world. You know what we're to plead with the world? We're supposed to plead like this. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That's what we're to plead with the world. He made him sin. Jesus became sin for you. That you might be made the righteousness of God in him. Notice that's what we're pleading. God's not holding your sins against you. He became sin because you're in sin. So you might come out of sin and be right in righteousness or in right standing with God in Christ. I don't know if you noticed, what will the Holy Spirit convict you of? Of sin, meaning the world, of righteousness, and of judgment. But isn't it interesting, the very thing he talked about right here is, for he made him to be sin, that first subject he'll deal with. And then notice the very next subject. He made him to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness. Notice, he will convict. He'll work. He'll plead through us. I'll tell you what, some of the greatest things we can do is invite people to the Lord, to church, so they can come to know the Lord. And I'll tell you what, we're not a... I mean, if we want to move of the Spirit of God... How many people want to see God move? Okay, five people. Oh, I'm kidding. There was a lot more. But there, you know, we want to see God move. You know, because we're Holy Spirit people. Oh, it's all about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. He just told you if you'd go plead with people, I'll plead with them. You'll see me move. You'll fulfill your ministry. You'll fulfill the ministry that you've been given. And I'll deal with those people. This is a present day ministry for everybody. Why be timid unless we're only relying on ourselves? Why be embarrassed unless we're only relying on ourselves? But if we're relying on him, 
we can safely lean the ladder and know he'll hold us up. You with me? So we need to recognize he'll plead through us. And we have come to the place where we're free from sin. We're in right standing. We have the good news. Amen. 